Welcome to the Your Business Greatness webinar. My name is Simone Sloan, your host today, and really excited about um, our speaker and our topic today. You know, you talk about machines, technology, and being so transactional, and really want to understand, you know, in terms of how do we show up in conversation, and are we cognizant of that? How are we in terms of our overall goal when we're interacting with others? Is it more of just a transactional basis or is it really around forming long-term relationships and building um, a community right, of inclusive communications with teams, colleagues, and your peers? Well, today we have the FEEL model. And we have a lovely speaker, Deidre, who will be talking about this. But really, she's going to describe what this field model is, and I'm very excited to hear about it. Also, how do we apply that to our communication touch points with others and provide really um, some tips for us to think about as we engage with our clients, with our employees, with our teams? I'll just share a little bit about Deidre. She's CEO of Pure Performance Communications and a 30-year veteran in the PR, marketing, and branding world. She's worked with senior leaders and organizations, including the Academy of Nutrition and Dietitians, JBC, Kraft, NASDAQ, MBA, Events and Attractions, and Public Relations Society of America. She's authored six books, sharing stories and advice to navigate changing consumer behaviors, and has 15 years, has taught PR in social media courses. She's been blogging at PR Expanded for over 10 years, and she's also the host and a podcast of Women Worldwide. Please, let's welcome Deidre Breckenridge. Thank you so much, Simone, for the wonderful introduction, and I cannot wait to dive into the SEAL model with everyone. Hello, thank you for being here. Uh, we're going to talk about a communications model that's based on a year of research, and I'm going to explain all about it and why SEAL needs to be added to your strategic <laughs> communications as a lens to a way to communicate so you can really build genuine relationships. So let's get started with a question. I want you to think about this. How many people from the time that you woke up this morning until right now, if you're listening to me, how many of you were asked, how do you feel? Not how are you, but how do you feel? Well, when I ask this question with 100 people in the room or 500 people in the room, I only see two or three or maybe four hands at best. And that's really interesting uh, because it's so important <laughs> that we feel. And what's even more interesting is that feel, which is the most human thing that we can do, has been minimized. I believe feel has been minimized in business, made to seem really small. Now, I'm not sure if it's because I'm a woman in business. And when I remember when I owned my first agency, both male and female mentors said to me, Oh my gosh, <laughs> suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> don't let them see you sweat, be tough, be strong, and don't let them see how you feel. Uh, so I also remember that in business school, <laughs> there was no class on feel. Uh, emotional intelligence, I guess, was there when I was getting my MBA, but it was wrapped in organizational behavior, but it really didn't stand out. And even when I went out on social media as a part of my year-long study, analyzing conversations about 
leaders and the characteristics that really stand out about them. You see visionary and business and how they really have to understand investment and the market and finances. You didn't really see words. I didn't, I couldn't find words about feel. I didn't see that word. I didn't see compassion and kindness and trust and a lot of the things that many of their employees and people who they communicate with are looking for. Now, when it comes to relationships and we all want to create impact with our communication and build relationships, at the point of a connection, right, we're all engaging, we're out there on social media or you're networking or you're trying to build relationships with your colleagues, at that point of connection, the only way to truly get to a relationship is to have emotional intelligence and to feel. Feel is the bridge and feel is the stepping stone. And it is the difference between a quick engagement and a simple transaction to the loyalty and advocacy that you are really searching for. Now, I like to say that a 24-year-old millennial put me on the road to feel. I want you to meet my stepdaughter, Noelle. And Noelle, I'll tell you, she was something else. Uh, she was an outstanding scholar. She had received her master's degree. She was headed toward a career in psychology. She had the boyfriend and she was living in Spain. Just a beautiful, beautiful person inside and out. And then the unthinkable occurred. Now, if you can imagine when somebody chooses to take their own life and the journey ends, the family is devastated. And we were. We were devastated. And it really made all of us including myself, step back to say, wow, what did we miss? How I looked at my career in communication, studying verbal and nonverbal communication, and I had so many questions. And of course, Noelle will forever be in our hearts, but I needed these questions answered. So I set out, and I decided to find out from millennials, as many millennials as I could speak with. How do you show up to your conversations? Are you sharing authentically? How do you want to be perceived? What do you value? What do you care about from others that you interact with? How do you build trust? What do you expect from the people around you and what do you expect from your leaders? And what part does social media play in your communication? Is it helping? Is it hurting? My research started with undocumented one-on-one -on -one conversations that I quickly realized Realize. were so important that I needed to take this as a passion project, as a research study, and that's exactly what I did. For 52 plus weeks, I started talking to millennials in one-on-one -on -one interviews, asking them those questions and documenting their answers. And here I thought that I would have 10 or 15-minute conversations at best. And those conversations turned into 30 minutes and 60 minutes and much longer, 90 minutes and more. And as I stepped back and I looked at all of the data 
that I had collected, all of the qualitative data, I quickly saw four areas come into focus very clearly. And that's what they were asking for when it came to communication especially. So I'm going to go through those four areas. I'm going to quote some research that's out there now and share a story or two about what I learned so that you can know, you can step back and think about all those millennials around you or just in general. This is about people and what people need in communication and in relationships. So one of the buckets that immediately was carved was around this notion of being open and inclusive and diverse perspective. Uh, Deloitte Millennial study recently that came out said that two-thirds of millennials believe that organizations that are open and inclusive are more innovative. Now, the more millennial conversations I had, the more I realized that many of those millennials didn't understand why there was almost this unspoken rule of don't, we don't care <laughs> what you have to say. We're not looking for your input. And it would take two or three years of their time at a company before a manager would even recognize uh, and invite them to the table to share a perspective. And even if they did get to the table, maybe their perspectives were only valued 50% of the time. And the biggest message that came through loud and clear to me from the millennials I spoke with was this question. What were they afraid of? What are leaders afraid of? Why don't they want our perspective? And that's really interesting. And this formed a bucket that I called face fears. You need to face your fears. If you are afraid of something, if you're not open and inclusive, you're really shutting yourself off to great conversations. So clearly, face fears was a big part of this model, and that's the F in feel. Then we got to the emotional intelligence part. And according to Pew Research, approximately 80% of millennials would leave their current jobs to work for an organization that is more empathetic. Well, I can say, based on the 75-plus millennials that I spoke with, I'd say 95% quoted the caring, the kindness, and the empathy. And here's just a story to put it in context. Uh, one millennial young woman told me that... Um, she was given a project by her supervisor, she and five other of her team members. And they had a week to work on it, and they would all come back to the table with their respective parts. Three days into working on her part of the project, she started to feel really anxious. And by that Friday night, uh, she went into a full-blown panic attack. Her boyfriend didn't know what it was, and she didn't know either. And he called 911. She was hospitalized for the entire weekend. Come Monday, she went back to work, scrambled to put together her part of the project. Quote, unquote, she submitted something that was subpar. But she would rather do that than let anybody on her team or her supervisor know that she was having a health issue because it would not be met with any kind of caring or kindness. This young woman was at her company for over three years. These stories, this was not an isolated story. Uh, millennials want emotional intelligence and they want 
the empathy. So this stood out very clearly. This was the first E <laughs> in the feel model. Then came the area of truth and transparency. And you really can't get to a relationship without truth and transparency. 39% um, of millennials believe their companies are not behaving ethically. This was from the Deloitte Millennial Study. And I would say that the millennials I spoke with quoted, frankly, that they didn't feel their leaders were being accurate in communication with them or through social media. They wondered why they didn't feel their leaders trusted them enough to share the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly. And why, when something needed to be shared with the public, it wasn't. So using ethics and good judgment was definitely on their minds and ethics because it was talked about so much, that's the second E in the field model. Now the last bucket came loud and clear as well. And this was the show your passion, take a stance. Uh, there was a statistic from the Engage for Good study that approximately 42% of millennials would begin or deepen a relationship with a company that had products or services that had a positive impact on society or even the environment. And the millennials that I spoke with, one story that stood out was a young woman who shared that she didn't understand why the leaders of her company would be vocal on the inside. And this was a company that had clients in the ride-sharing um, industry. And yet, even though there were all sorts of safety issues and things going on with ride-sharing, that her leaders would not go out on social media or they wouldn't share in their media interviews. And she felt that not lending a voice and not taking a stance went against everything that the company actually stood for. And there was a disconnect. Millennials want you to match their passion. They want you to show your enthusiasm. After all, if you don't, why would anybody join your cause? Why would anybody follow you? Why would anyone want to be employed by you? Uh, that's unleashing the love, and that is the L in the feel model. So here it is. Very quickly, these millennials and my social media research built this model called feel. And this is the model laid out. Um, we're going to go through it really quickly. I am going to show you an important part called getting unstuck and finding your passion potential, which really is an intersection of the point where you can, you have a connection and you have the potential to build a relationship if you feel. In other words, your strategic communications can get you to a certain point. The overlay of the feel lens can get you to the relationship. Once you realize you have passion potential, then you have to learn to see how much you feel first. I'll explain that. Then it gets applied to your brand. You make sure you feel through all of your channels and you show up consistently with all the things you've learned from the feel model and you measure feel and that really is in the depths of your relationship. So let's talk a little bit about passion potential. 
You're all experts, right? You're business professionals. You all have things that you want to share that you are so passionate about. And there is an audience out there who cares and wants to connect with you. It is exactly at that intersection of where your purpose, fueled by your expertise, right? That's your passion, meets your audience's pain points and what they actually care about. At this very point is where feel, where that model begins and your relationship can grow. So how do we figure this out? Well, this is uh, an example of somebody that I've worked with finding their passion potential, the, that intersection, that point where feel can be applied. Now, you're looking at text analytics, right, analysis. Uh, this is a word cloud. And believe it or not, and I'm sure you all do, you have websites, it, they're your hubs where you talk a lot. It's your strongest messages that you want to get through to all of your important constituents. This is an exercise. Passion Potential is analyzing what you say on your website, crunching <laughs> the data, and spitting out the text cloud to show you the words that you talk about the most are the most important things to you. And this is really interesting because sometimes what we have on our sites does not actually match what we're out there saying on social media or what our audience cares about when they're on social media or what they're saying about you. Now this particular client of mine is a brand coach. She focuses on brand development, growth, performance, results, and the words that are the largest are what she shares the most on her website. However, when you pair that to a few hundred thousand conversations, and this is, you always have to measure apples to apples, so if you're measuring what she's saying about a certain topic, you can go measure those or analyze those conversations or topics on social media. So that's what I did. I use a very powerful tool. I have a collaboration with TalkWalker. And when you put in conversations around brand development and you're talking about performance and brand growth, this is what the crunched conversations look like. Now the circled words are the words that match her website and what she talks about the most. So that, that's passion potential. That says right there that she has a reason that people care, that they would want her to talk about brand development and business and the support and how leaders need to focus on this and the people involved and the impact and the growth. But the words underlined are all either conversations that didn't come up in her word cloud, or she talks about less, and they weren't as prominent. They were teeny tiny words that barely showed up. Words like technology, that's a part of the conversation. Words like infrastructure. How about mitigating risks? Maybe she needs to be talking about that more because that's a big part of the conversation. So here you have the intersection of passion potential and what else you could talk about and then you look to see are you actually reaching the right audience well she knew that she was reaching more men than women so check that box but what really amazed her 
was that she thought there would be more 45 to 54-year-olds a part of this conversation when the 25 to 30-year-old age demographic spikes. She was also really interested in the fact that 20% of the conversation was held by lawyers, IT professionals, and executive managers. And now she's going to take her passion potential to them <laughs> and use feel to build relationships. From that point in this exercise, and you can do this, you find your common topics, you find that passion potential, and you also learn if you want to take it from a media standpoint. And I do courses, I'm building a course on media training with a feel lens, and this is a part of it. You're also finding the angles that you mention less that people are interested in that you can pitch to the media and lend your voice to that and brand new angles because you see the hot topic. So the goal here also is to know where the passion potential is and if there's new potential for you that that then has to be added to your website and to your social media profiles. So if you're out there talking about it or you go and pitch it, when somebody goes back to look at who you are, it's actually represented. Okay, now you might be saying, all right, Deirdre, I get it. There's this thing called passion potential, and that's where feel begins, at that point of connection, at that interest. How do I know if I feel? Well, that's why my team and I have created a test. <laughs> you can go to feelfirsttest.com. The test scores you. It evaluates you. It's going to let you know if you face your fears, if you leave your ego at the door. That's a big part of facing your fears. It's going to let you know if you engage with empathy. It's going to score you on your ethics and your good judgment and how much you kind of use your passion and your energy and unleash the love. The test also recommends exercises that you can do to increase any area of feel. And this is really important because you need that roadmap. You have to do the exercises so that you can apply it to your brand and everything that you learned about the passion potential so that you can set it free <laughs> and use it across your channels. We are looking at the data. We have a database. Behind this test, we have over 3,000 answers to the test. We're looking at age. We're looking at the generation and we're looking at the profession because we have a feeling that some industries are going to score lower on the field test than others and we know this and we want to help them. Okay, applying field to your brand and then to all of the different ways that you communicate. Yes, you can apply field to your media interviews, to your meetings in your company, to your speaking engagements and through social media. You can do this through your own professional development or you can do this with your teams as well. So let's take a look at some action steps. I want to give you some tips. I want to give you some things that you can walk away with to say, okay, maybe I need a little help here. What's my roadmap going to look like? So that's my dog, Lily. <laughs> She's on my yoga mat and she is doing a down dog. Facing fears, you can't show up to an interview. You can't show up to a meeting in your company if you have a whole bunch of negative chatter, if 
you have a huge ego and a chip on your shoulder and you're ready to prove something, you kind of have to step back, check your ego at the door, be very present and open. How do you do that? Well, I do a lot of breathing, stretching, <laughs> and practicing mindfulness and, and yoga. All of this opens you up. And when you can clear your mind, you are then able to take in what others are sharing. You're, you're able to step back and, and actually ask questions about opinions and perspectives that maybe they're not yours. Maybe you don't understand them. Maybe you feel uncomfortable about them. But you won't retreat to your corner. You won't try to prove your point, And you'll make somebody else feel validated, which is really important because if you can't get past that, there's no way that you're going to have a relationship. Now also in the face fears area, it doesn't take rock climbing in New Zealand and that is my nephew Brad. Yes, he is actually hanging out on a rock in New Zealand. I didn't have to use stock photography. I could just use what my nephew is doing. But facing your fears means what is your comfort zone? A lot of people say, oh, you got to step out of your comfort zone, new experiences. And yes, that does make you open to different ways of seeing things. But you have to understand what is your comfort zone first. And that's an exercise. Identify what makes you feel comfortable to take five steps in a different direction so that you can be more open and have experiences that are different. And practicing this will actually get you to a place of open, inclusive, and yes, I want rich perspective around me in my life and in my work. When it comes to emotional intelligence and empathy, that really starts with listening actively. When you go into your meetings, if you can avoid it, don't take your smartphones. If you have to, then turn off all notifications and put them face down. I'll tell you a funny story. I walk into my husband's office. He's got three screens on his desk, and he's typing, and he's looking on his screen. And I'll say, oh, you know, I have, to, I have to chat with you. I wanted to share something that was going on. And he'll say, okay, yeah, go ahead. I'm listening. As he's typing, as he's looking at one of his screens. No, that's not listening. <laughs> Actively listening. Try it. Try it in one of your meetings. This should be on your roadmap. When somebody is speaking, your body language tells them that you're listening, whether it's eye contact, a smile, head nodding, your body leaning in, or you listening and asking follow-up questions. This lets people know that you are engaged. And if you don't listen, how do you get to a place of understanding? If you don't have understanding, how can you possibly be empathetic to anybody's situation. Now, a lot of folks think that they are empathetic, and maybe you are, and maybe you're not, but here's something for your roadmap. Let's break down empathy. Did you know that there are three different levels? There's cognitive empathy, emotional, and compassionate. What level do you act on? Is it cognitive empathy where you might have some kind of understanding of a teammate who seems uncomfortable, so you adjust your tone of voice when you're talking in a meeting. That is actually a form of empathy. Or you change that tweet. <laughs> if you realize that somebody's having a tough time, you might change the 
way that you tweet your response to them. That's cognitive empathy. Emotional empathy is when you actually have more of a relationship. There's trust built and a deeper understanding of what they're going through. You can then walk in their shoes and be able to listen and they trust you and they know that you're listening. And the last type of empathy is compassionate. And that means you know so deeply what's going on. You can actually help that person with a roadmap, an action plan to solve whatever issue they have or problem. And you need a relationship. You need trust for this level of empathy. So think of three situations that you've been in. What was your level of empathy? Or maybe you were not empathetic. And how could you move to a place of empathy? And try it. See where you are on the empathy scale. Defining your values. Ethics is really important. If you are not ethical, if you don't show good judgment, that can lead to no relationship or breaking a relationship if you are unethical. So here's an exercise for you. Can you in 30 seconds or less define your values? Just like a, an elevator pitch. <laughs> if you want an elevator, you had 30 seconds. Could you tell me, I believe you know, that we should respect one another. I believe in honesty, integrity, truth, accuracy, patience. What is it that's really important that you define your own values and to practice them? Think of situations where you're at a crossroad. Did you practice those values? Did something happen at your company where you perhaps didn't practice those values and you did something that went against your values? You have to go beyond the words. At the end of the day, you are left with your integrity. And that's what you want to keep intact. And that's what helps to keep relationships. That's what helps to grow relationships. And lastly, for love, turn up your energy. Take the media interview. Are you a five in the studio? Or are you an eight to a ten? I used to have a show uh, that was broadcast out of NASDAQ in Times Square, and I would interview influencers all about their marketing and public relations and reputation, and I would always notice that if somebody came in a little low-key or maybe was a little nervous, I could use my energy to raise them up from a six to an eight very quickly. Have you also noticed that if somebody's energy is low and if you don't raise it up, you slump into their energy level. So it's really important because remember, when you're interviewing especially, your passion, your enthusiasm, that's not only just getting across to the media professional, but if you're on a live TV show or maybe it's recorded or whoever's listening or watching you, they see your energy. And if you don't have that 8 to a 10 energy level, why would anybody care? about what you're saying. If you're not enthusiastic, why would they be? Why would they want to find out more? And when it comes to love and passion, show your entrepreneurial spirit. Maybe you realize this, or maybe you don't. There's a whole bunch of entrepreneurs in your company if you let them show their entrepreneurial spirit. So yeah, there are a lot of teams, but there has to be a lot of individualism too. And millennials especially love to be entrepreneurs within their own companies. They want to own it. They don't want to just be a cog 
in the machine. They want to understand it and know that they're a part of it and really be involved, especially when it comes to your brand. So everybody's an individual, and yes, everybody's a part of a team, but they're a really important part. And the more spirit that you can show and bring it out of them, the more they're going to give to you. Okay, all of this feel started with millennials. That's right. I mentioned Noel and what got me on a course to feel. But if you think about it, feel is the most human thing that we can do. In an age of marketing automation that is commonplace, in an age of artificial intelligence and robots, what do we have over the robots? We have our ability to feel. Robots cannot build relationships. They don't have empathy and emotional intelligence. That's what we have. And that's what we all need. This is not replacing strategic planning and communication. This is overlaying feel, facing fears, engaging with empathy, using ethics and good judgment, and unleashing the love as a part of your communication consistently throughout all of your channels applied to your brand. Because you have to feel at that point of connection. If you don't feel and if somebody else doesn't feel it, you're not going to reach the advocacy, the loyalty, and those unbreakable bonds that we all strive, all of that impact that we are looking to create. And with that, I want to thank you, and I am happy to take any of your questions around feel, the approach, the model, and how feel isn't just for millennials, it's for all of us. Sure. Thank, thank you so much, Deidre, for that information. And if you do have any questions, please go ahead and use the chat bot um, on the screen in, in the lower um, taskbar, and um, you can go ahead and ask questions. But while people are thinking about the questions that they may have, um, I thought, you know, I love the action steps that you provided, Deidre, really around um, one, being open, right? That's the first thing. Are you open? But also to that, to understanding where in that circle are you willing to go in terms of your comfort zone and how far out of the circle are you willing to travel, but really getting a firm understanding of your true gradient and your comfort zones. Listening actively and how that feeds into empathy and the three types of empathy too, because you know you, you think about it and people, if that's something that gets stepped on and over in business and to really understand it from those three areas of cognizance, compassion, emotional, and how they all kind of relate into are you listening openly and actively and not waiting to speak and are you present with that other person and then how that you define your values and your ethics and really around oh, at the end of the day it's all about love and, and coming and coming from your heart right and in everything that you do even though it can get very transactional even though the system might allow us to just remain kind of status quo if you will but really are you coming coming and speaking and being through your heart so thank you so much um, did anyone have questions yes a question came up that said um, is it possible for someone who struggles with empathy to improve their level of empathy? Yes, absolutely. 
So that goes to identifying some situations perhaps that you've been in where in hindsight, you know when, when something happens, let's say you're, you're in a meeting and you notice that somebody is feeling really uncomfortable or the rest of the team is um, impressing something upon them. And that's a situation where if somebody is feeling uncomfortable, putting yourself in their shoes means helping them to get through it. Now, you might have um, stepped away from that meeting and said, wow, I, I didn't do anything to help them. Think about what you could have done, uh, even to the point, if not in the meeting, afterward. If you had a relationship with that person, how you would have approached it to kind of find out what, what's going on. So I think it's just recognizing how we show up in different ways and being really cognizant of the signals that people are sending us. And to be able to say, I didn't do this, what could I have done is at least the first step to getting to empathy and really keying in and, and listening and being there for them. I just, a word of caution on this. You know, I go and I speak to large groups. I tell them, just because you're hearing this doesn't mean that you can just go back to a team member if you notice something, if you have no relationship or there's no trust and say, hey, John, you know, I, I noticed you're a little quiet or you seemed uncomfortable. What's going on? Can I help you? John is not going to say, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, I'm up to my eyeballs and in student loan debt, 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 I'm having a really hard time. My girlfriend just broke up with me. No. John is not going to say that because if there's no trust there, there's no, you, you can't get to empathy. So I think it really is a lot more listening and, getting pe and being vulnerable. That's another way to get people to trust you. That changes the dynamic a lot in organizations and interactions. Great, 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 great. Well, thank you for that. And, um, and so I would like to thank you again, Deidre, for that lovely presentation and the FEEL model and how it can be applied to not only professionally but also personally too in our day-to-day -day interactions. Um, I'd like to thank the participants for attending today. And um, on our next Your Business Greatness webinar, we have Scaling Your Business, the skills and things that you need to know in order to be effective at growing it. Um, so thank you again for attending the webinar and we'll see you on the 24th of March for the next webinar about scaling. Thank you. Thank you.